Well, welcome to the Valley Hoops Insider Podcast. Our guest today is Nick Schultz, and he has been the beat writer for the Loyola Ramblers for a, in the last several years and kind of our re- resident expert on Rambler basketball. You call yourself an expert, right? I like to think I am at this point. Been around for four years. So, I mean, I'm done now, though. I just graduated. But the, uh, I, I just, I'd still consider myself the expert. I, I think so, too. And I think, Nick, that uh, for a big city like Chicago and a great basketball program like Loyola, the minimal amount of coverage that they get in terms of you being a college student, being the beat writer, no, no radio contract really to speak of. Uh, I don't know how much play they get on TV in Chicago. Um, Quite a bit. And, and I know that it picked up, it's picked up the last couple of years, obviously, with the success they've had. But to me, and I know there's other, um, what can I say? There's, there's competition, right? There's all kinds of professional sports and all kinds of college basketball uh, going on as well. But, I, but as a Valley guy, it seems unforgivable to me, the little amount of coverage that goes on to Loyola. Yeah, and I mean, I understand it. Like, from a budgetary standpoint, newspapers aren't what they used to be. And I know the Tribune's in not great shape in Chicago. I don't know if you've been following that at all. The Sun-Times is in good shape. They just don't have the manpower, it seems like. But all in all, like, it's really the student papers that drive the college basketball coverage and maybe some bloggers. And it's been very weird being in that spot as a college student, being, like, the de facto beat writer the last few years. It's been – it wasn't really what I expected when I signed up to go to Loyola and everything, but it's been great. And they, they do get a good amount of play on TV anymore. Uh, NBC Sports Chicago picks up a lot of their games. They've had a lot of national games the last few years after the Final Four. So there's, def- there's attention there. Like, people are paying more attention. But I, I agree with you. It does, I do wish they had a professional beat writer of some kind, but also as a student reporter and for the student reporters that are following now that I'm leaving. Like, it's a great opportunity to really – Step into the big leagues, as I call it. Yeah, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but you brought an army of people to Arch Madness this year. <laughs> you, were, you, like, kind of took over the whole press room. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, in, the, in the context of coronavirus 2020, um, what are you doing with your time these days? How are you surviving and enduring uh, COVID-19 shutdown? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Because, like I said, I'm, I'm done with school. And I'm looking for jobs, and there's not a lot of jobs there with everything. I had a couple of applications out, didn't, didn't get any traction on those. And I've just been kind of spending time with the family. Been, I live in Dwight, Illinois. It's the halfway point between Normal and Chicago. So I know a lot of ISU people, too. My parents are Illinois State grads, to give you an idea. It's really fun in my house, Kamarch Madness. I've <laughs> <laughs> uh, been spending a lot of time with the family. We had the whole all five of us are under one roof again. We didn't think that would happen. My brother goes to George Washington out in D.C. on a Navy ROTC scholarship. So we weren't planning on having him back for a while. So catching up on sleep is the big thing. Uh, like I said, spending family time, playing some video games, and, yeah, just kind of getting by. Not a lot to do around here. <laughs> it's crazy times for our entire nation. Uh, listen, if you're watching this right now and you say, man, we need a rider, this is the guy right here. You got to get a hold of Nick Schultz, get him hired up before somebody else gets him. Hey, the, your four years uh, covering the Ramblers uh, were not boring ones. And uh, your four years covering the Ramblers, you know, Porter maybe should put you on staff because you're kind of, you haven't seen anything but greatness uh, while you were there. Just talk a little bit about the 
early time being an early student there and 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 lob you know hooking on to the rambler program and then being able to watch this great ascent you know it's funny i was so this past year i was the only member on staff at the phoenix to remember when milton doyle played because wow. that was my freshman year was when Mil- was milton doyle's senior year so I kind of – I was around before the Final Four, which mm-hmm. I feel like people don't believe me sometimes when I say that, but I'm like, no, I really was. Like, Milton and I built up a relationship. I still talk to him. Like, that was freshman year, and that was a surprise year, I feel like, in a way. They finished, I think, fifth, and that was the highest finish in the Valley. Since they joined, we're thinking, okay, cool, highest finish is fifth. Where are they going from here? Well, they go to the Final Four the next year. And it was definitely a wild ride. I call it – being in the right place at the right time in a way, just, I mean, I went to Loyola. I visited Loyola after I was accepted. I just kind of shot an app in for, cause it was a free app and I'm like, Oh, we'll see what happens, you know, and got accepted. Like, I guess I should visit. And here I am. <laughs> it was quite the journey for sure. When you, uh, when the Ramblers, as you mentioned, went from fifth place in the Valley to fourth place in the nation. Uh, talk a little bit about that season and the, craziness and the rush of it all. I mean, we documented it well on our website and obviously we're, you know, covering the the Ramblers as best we could, but being up close and personal had to be very, uh, both exhilarating, exciting, and maybe tiring. You probably had a lot of work to do. How much time you got, Harry? <laughs> I can go, <laughs> I go on day, about I'm it. On coronavirus shutdown. <laughs> Same. Yeah, I, I could go on about it all day and have, that was, that was sophomore year. So to give you, I'm going to paint the picture here. I was 19 that year so I couldn't go buy a drink and here I was like following the team thinking okay cool I'm just staying on the basketball beat seeing what happened then they beat Florida and we're like okay you know what maybe they could do something you never know because then when Clayton Custer got hurt during that Florida game they kind of stumbled we're like okay this might be like a good year they could still make a run and then Clay came back and I'd never been on an airplane before going to Dallas (laughs) and then going to Atlanta and then going to San Antonio Amazing. During March 2018, that was so much fun, and it was it was just a the thrill of a lifetime. I met so many great people, and being there up close and personal with the team, like going in the locker rooms and everything, seeing the raw emotions, like it was, it's no doubt the highlight of my college career. And that's saying something because I'm a Cubs fan, and the Cubs won the World Series my <laughs> freshman year. <laughs> that's that's freshman sophomore year. We're pretty good in terms of sports. That's yeah, talking right there. Yeah, and looking back on it now, like being done, it's like, okay, you know what? I was there for the first two years were really, really good, and it kind of shaped, shaped my college experience and showed me where I wanted to go post-grad. And, yeah, like to say, to say it was the thrill of a lifetime is an understatement because it's still sometimes just like, wow, that happened. Like little Loyola, Chicago, going in, beating Florida, basically running the table in the valley and going to the Final Four. Like it, it was like something out of a movie. Can't, couldn't have planned it, couldn't have seen it coming, but good for them. And uh, people that w- read my stuff and, and watch our podcasts and whatnot, they know I'm a coach guy. Like, I really like the coaches. Uh, before we talk about the roster itself, talk about what it's like to hang around Porter on a regular basis. Because he seems to be wired. Like, he's 110 all the time. But maybe he isn't day in and day out. Maybe it's just for we high-powered out-of-towners that he gets up for. No, I can tell you firsthand that that is exactly how he is. He is always, he's always super energetic. And every time I talk to him, he like, I, I had my, my last interview with him was a few weeks ago. I did a story. I don't know if you saw 
it was about, it was during, with the last dance going on, the Michael Jordan documentary, Porter posted a picture of him at a basketball camp with Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. which, so he worked at the camp with him, which meant he had to play against Michael Jordan. And I, I text, uh, I text Bill Barron's SID. I'm like, Hey, Porter, want to talk about this? And Porter called me and we, uh, I think maybe five minutes of the 20 minutes we talked was the interview and the rest of it was just talking basketball because that's mm-hmm. just the kind of guy he is. He's super energetic, super passionate. And he's just a genuinely good guy too. Like he, he took me in like I was covering the team for 10 years. Like I was one of the big guys when I was a little old freshman and I just can I could never thank him enough for it. And he's just full of class. Never had a, I've never had a bad experience in a Porter Moser interview because there's always a money quote somewhere. Listen, I t- I've told this story so many times, but like my little old website that, you know, 99.9% of the people in America don't even know I exist or I'm doing this website. Uh, my little old website, one day I'm setting up at Arch Madness to do, I do a lot of pre-game interview kinds of things sometimes. And the Ramblers are out practicing and Porter walks 94 feet from one end of the floor to the other to come over to say hi to me and to thank me for covering the league. And I thought, that's Porter. I'm I'm a fan for life, you know, because I'm no I'm nobody, and he's thanking me. I mean, it's pretty amazing, and uh, and I find a lot of the coaches in the league are like that, and and one of the reasons I really enjoy the Valley. I want to talk about the Ramblers a little bit. Uh, Didn't win their third straight championship, but had a a good solid season this last year. Lose some players to transfer and and whatnot. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about. I was I was somewhat surprised Pipkins left, but but tell me about their losses first. What what do you think? Who are the players that they're going to miss that they lost from last season? Well, they've only lost two, and that's Bruno Skokna and Jalen Pipkins. And Skokna's graduating, turned into kind of a role player this year. Didn't really see the minutes everyone thought he would. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was kind of off the bench here and there. He didn't play in that last Arch Madness game against. Valpo when they missed all their free throws, which are a reminder that free throws are free. I forgot my notebook, but I got to throw that in there. <laughs> but they're losing. Bruno is a big loss in terms of leadership as well. I mean, he, he and I, again, we broke in together. We were, he, he was a freshman when I was a freshman, senior when I was a senior. And they're going to miss his leadership there. But other than that, like, Pipkins had a really good game against Valpo during the first game of Valley play. And after that was kind of in and out of the rotation a little bit. He wouldn't see the court a lot. And when he transferred, I wasn't in, I wasn't surprised, to say the least, because, again, he didn't really get the minutes I thought he would because he's super athletic. But those are their only two losses. They bring back the starting lineup, and they get Cooper Cephas back. He missed the season with a, hip, with a torn hip labrum. Mm-hmm. And they get Braden Norris, a transfer from Oakland. He'll be eligible. He's another sharpshooter. So I think next year they're going to be, like, the team to beat, in my opinion. It's interesting to, as you know, if a team dips just a little bit, then I write them off, right? I mean, that's just human nature for people. Um, I, I had a great interview with Lucas Williamson, and, and I just think he's a top drawer guy. And I kept waiting for him to break out last year. And I know he made the all-defense team, and he's a great defender and all that. What do you expect from him in a senior season? I could see him taking that leap. I could see him kind of stepping more – Lucas and Cam Crutwig, the, the both of them, they were freshmen on the Final Four team. Now they can step up in terms of leadership. Like, Lucas is a great leader. I knew that when I first talked to him that, that first year. And now that he'll be a senior, I think he can step up there, and then I think he can 
spread his wings a little bit and take off. Like he doesn't have to, doesn't have to really shoulder the burden. I felt like that was kind of the case a little bit this year was he was trying to, trying to shoulder the shooting load because the three point shooting was not great during non-conference play. Cause again, they were without their best three point shooter in Cooper Cephas. You lost Custer and Towns to graduation. So Lucas was your best three point shooter at that point. So I feel like he was kind of pressing a little bit. Now getting Kafis back, getting Norris in the rotation, getting Baylor Hebb, the freshman coming in. I think he can finally settle in and spread his wings and really, really take off for a strong senior season on both ends of the ball because he's a great defender. So talk more about the returning roster before we get to the new guys. Uh, obviously, everybody knows about Crutwig and, and, and the guys that have been there. But talk a little bit about how that, that roster makeup looks to you right now. And Kafis is a big part of that. Yeah, Kafis is going to be a big part of it. Because, I mean, he's a fan favorite, too. Like, everybody loves, like, his, the mop top and everything. Everyone compares him to Ron Baker. Ron which Baker, I was going to say. Not, yeah. You say that to Loyola fans who were, who were around when Wichita State was in the league. They don't really like that too much. But <laughs> everyone brings up the, the comparison of Ron Baker. is a mop top and he can shoot. So that's going to be a big boost right away is getting Kafis back. But having Keith Clemens at the point, he missed the first – half of the non-conference season I think because he had meniscus surgery before mm-hmm. the year he was a junior college transfer from Vincent so we'd never seen him play before he came back against Ball State and they looked like a whole new team because he won a championship at Vincent's Juco so he was very much a calming presence at the point and that's where you kind of saw things turn around because then Marquise Kennedy instead of being thrown into the starting lineup as a freshman to replace a player of the year in Clayton Custer he got to take the sixth man role and really, really took off. Like, he exceeded my expectations. And he won sixth man of the year. That was a shoe-in vote, in my opinion. So they've got, they've got depth, especially even coming back, because they're only losing Skokna and Pipkins right now. And that's a, that's a strong, strong roster coming back, because you've got your starting five of the game. I, I told Porter, yeah. I said, I completely whiffed on Tate Hall. When, when a place I like Toyola signs a D2 kid, this is what you know. He's got good grades, and he's got nothing else. He's going he's gonna to be good for the GPA, and that's it. And Tate, and Tate Hall was a stinking stud. I agree with you. I didn't expect Tate to jump off the page like he did either. So, so they've got the starting five back, and you mentioned Clemens and Kennedy, and, I, and both of those guys, I think, are really outstanding. They get Capus back, so they've got uh, – who is really a returner, though he didn't play last year. Um, so they've got – seven, eight guys that are starters, really, before you start talking about the new guys. What can Crutwig do to add to his game? I mean, where, where do you see that next step for him as a senior? I think the big thing for Crutwig is he needs to work on a jump shot. He can get he's – got, he's got the footwork. He can maneuver down low. He can, he can pass, which is unique, but he's got to get a jump shot. I had I stepped into a photography role a little bit this year, and, and also in addition to writing. And I'd have games like, "Oh, I'm gonna get the Crutwig jump shot," where he finally figures it out, and then he'd shoot it and he'd miss it. Be like, "Okay, he's still got to work on some range." Once he gets some range in there, I don't see how you stop him. I mean, we've talked about it this year. He'd be double teamed, and he'd find the open man because he could pass so well. He's got the footwork to maneuver down low to create an open shot. Now he's got to get the range to go with it, and if he can do that, watch out. I, th- I thought it was – I was sad that Liam Robbins left the league uh, too. from Drake. 
uh, I'm always sad when a good player leaves the league. Uh, but with Robbins, Fife, Gage Prim, Crutwig, all of a sudden we had four, five, six really good centers. And to watch centers go at it is a totally kind of a different view for a Missouri Valley fan. Yeah, and especially with the way – you watch the NBA and you don't see true centers anymore. And here we are in the Valley. You've got the Crutwings, you've got the Fifes, you've got the Robins. Like, I'm a traditionalist in terms of basketball. I love the days of like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see a reaction to this. With like Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell down low, like that's go. my favorite kind of basketball is like yeah. working the paint and everything. So seeing the big guys do work in the Valley, that did my heart good. And I also, I also didn't like to see Liam Robbins leave. I thought he was, in, he was poised for another big year and, I mean, he's going to a bigger school in Minnesota, like all of us to him. But it would have been cool just to see those big three big men go at it, especially in St. Louis again next year. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the new guys coming in. If, if like, I am no recruiting expert. You know, like I go on websites and I read what people write and what they say and so forth. I, I wouldn't say that a lot of the prognosticators think the class coming in for Loyola is off the charts great. Tell me what you know about the new guys. So to give you an idea, this class that's coming in is following the crew with Marquise Kennedy headlining it and Paxson Wojcik and Tom Welch, which I considered Porter's best recruiting class ever. So I want to preface it with that. I considered it his best. I mean, you saw what Kennedy did. I think Paxson Wojcik has a high ceiling. I think if if Porter can put Tom Welch at the four more, you're going to see that team – that that crew is going to do big things. So that's why I want to preface. That's where the bar is for me in terms of like great recruiting classes. So wait, this pause. So talk, so talk more about Welch. He didn't play much last year. So tell us about him. Yeah. See Tom, Tom played a lot of the five last year, which I was back and forth on. Like, I think he can be a really good stretch four. like there'd be times he, I think at Arch Madness, he hit a three pointer. And that's not something you see from, I think he's what, six, seven, six, eight. So the fact that he can do that, like, I think he could be a very good stretch four. And obviously your needs, if you're Porter, you need him at the five because Franklin Agunani was there too, but he also didn't play much. So you had to follow Krutwig. Well, Welch has range, put him at the five. I think he'd be better suited at the four. And I still think I'm still sold on Tom Welch. I'm not writing him off yet. I think he can, I think he can definitely grow this off season and, be even better next year. Hopefully yeah. see some more time at the four, because that's what I push for. Yeah, and I think that Wojcik kind of grew as the season went on. Am I right in that observation? He did. He did. And Pax is – Pax is – I don't know if you've talked to Paxson. He is probably – I think he's overtaken Lucas Williamson for nicest guy on the roster. Like, he's just <laughs> a, a genuinely good guy. Like, I was walking down the sideline one time before a game, and I feel someone punched my arm, and it's him just wanting to say, hey. I'm like, oh, hey, Pax, thanks for the – Shot in the arm. <laughs> but he's, he's a good guy, which translates to his play on the court. Because I've, saw, I've seen him dive for balls more. I've seen him – he's super high energy, which is contagious. And I think he can even – I think he can even take a step up too because Porter's got a lot of guards. So if Pax isn't putting up the numbers, like I think he's still learning from the Williamsons, from the Halls, from all them. So I don't think – I don't think he's in a bad spot at all. And like you said, I think he got better as the year went on. So, so I pushed pause on the new guys because you were bragging on the old guys that we have, don't really know that well yet. So tell right. me about this incoming class. So right now there's two incoming. There's Baylor Hebb and Jacob Hudson. What's unique is 
Baylor Hebb has signed his national letter of intent, and Jacob Hudson hasn't yet. Hudson committed back in September shortly after Hebb. So I don't really know what the situation is with Hudson yeah. coming on. So I'll start with Baylor. Baylor is another sharpshooter. He's coming out of Texas, and I've seen a lot of highlights. The kid can just – he's lights out from the floor. And I think he's going to be – I think he's going to fit in perfectly to Porter's offense because he'll be another Kathis and another Braden Norris. So you've got three guys who can shoot the three like that. It's going to be very good for Porter's pace and place. It's that pace and space style. And, I, like I said, I think he's just a perfect fit. I didn't really know much about him when he committed because Porter likes to recruit local. You've seen mm-hmm. that with Kennedy, Williamson, Crutwig, even Christian DeGrand back before he transferred. They were all local guys. So he went – had coming out of Texas. It was kind of unique. Like I said, didn't know much about him. But I think he's going to be a good addition. The wild card, like I said, is Hudson. He's 6'10". I want to say he has some range. But the big question mark is, and I get this from fans all the time, still texting me, like, what's going on? Is he signing a scholarship? Is he going to sit out? I don't really know what the deal is with that. It's just a weird situation. But once he, once he's on the roster somehow, once he plays, I think he can be valuable down low too because, again, he's a 6'10 guy who can shoot. Like, that's going to be exactly what Porter needs. Because, like I said, Crutwick doesn't have a lot of range. Frank Aganani's getting there. He's just got to work on a little bit more of a touch and to cut down on the happy feet, which he did better with this year. So I think he, Hudson could be a good, solid big. And there's also one other surprise commitment. He's got to sit out this year. Have you read up on Demisey Anderson at all? A little bit, yeah. I love this kid. Like, when he – the numbers weren't there at Indiana because I, I don't think it was a good fit there with Archie Miller. But seeing him commit, that was, that was my last full night on staff. It was also the same day Loyola DePaul rivalry restarted. <laughs> seeing him commit, I think he's going to be really good. He's going to have to sit out 2020, 2021. He jumps in that rotation, not next year, the year after. That's going to be a huge boost because I am totally sold on him. Yeah, assuming he can live up to his high school hype, he is a high-level guy, a high-ceiling guy uh, you know, whatever stars mean. He was a four-star guy. And so uh, that is intriguing, obviously, you know, a year away. But that's an intriguing guy. Uh, you've talked about Norris a couple of times. Fans won't know who he is. Or t- tell us about him. So Braden came out of Oakland in the Horizon League. He was uh, all freshman, if not – I think he was up for freshman of the year if he didn't win it. Can't remember off the top of my head. But he was a stud freshman. And he committed last year – the day after Christian Negron transferred. And I remember that because I was visiting my brother. That was really fun to have to put that stuff together. <laughs> so he's going to be a great addition to the lineup because, again, he's another shooter. So now Loyola goes from having no true designated three-point shooters. Like, yes, Tate Hall came around with the three, but you've got reliable three-point shooters in Capus and Norris coming in because Braden is – he's a force from downtown. And that's part of the reason I think Porter recruited him because he can fit in perfectly to that style. And it's another person they can kick it out to. Take a little bit of the load off Hall, a little bit of the load off Williamson. You've got two guys who you can just keep outside and just get it to him when you need. So I think he's going to be an amazing fit. Um, so the, uh, you know, the every, almost the every year rumor that somebody's going to take a run at Porter, how, how <laughs> secure do you think – Loyola fans should be that Porter will be there for the next several years. 
That's a good question. And the, the only answer I have is I don't know. I don't think there's been any traction this year on stuff. Cause again, Loyola didn't win the league. So I don't think there was as much as there was last year when he almost left for St. John's. But I think if Loyola can make a run at the Valley title this year, which I, I still think they're my preseason favorite, I, I would maybe expect Porter to get some phone calls and at that point maybe get a little nervous because that would be three championships in four years with Loyola. And if, if the right person calls, you never know what's going to happen. What, what so do you I think, really don't know yet. What do you think would be the right person? Meaning, uh, in my mind, uh, you know, he seems to so love Chicago and he seems to so love Catholics. Um, so it's DePaul, you know, but now I, uh, I, I'm not sure about DePaul. But I'm now, not sure about that one. But now not only that, DePaul's on the upswing a little bit. And so, you know, that, that won't happen yeah. for a little bit. Is, is there a kind of school that you think would be the most intriguing, interesting to him? I think maybe a DePaul type and not the kind that will go 12-1 and one in non-con and win three games in conference play. I'm talking, like, the style of the school with, like, the Catholic school. and I would say maybe maybe local. That's why I think DePaul maybe one day could be a fit. I don't think right now I wouldn't, I wouldn't go there. That's not exactly the best situation right now, and I don't think he'd want to. But I think something like a DePaul or even a Creighton, because I know he went to Creighton, so maybe something like that or a SLU, because I know he coached there under – Coach Bajeris, maybe a fit like that could be. But again, I really just, I don't know at this point. That's such a weird, it's such a fluid situation that you never know. Because again, he almost left for St. John's last year and didn't. And I would not have picked St. John's as a school that would have had a, made a run at Porter Moser. So I really don't know right now. Yeah, and I can't imagine Creighton, SLU, or DePaul, any of those jobs shifting for a couple of years. So Yeah, I don't think that. Maybe, Rambler maybe fans, DePaul. relax. No, I will say maybe DePaul, because I know there are DePaul fans who are really unhappy with how this year ended. I mean, and I, I wrote that – I don't know if you saw my column back in December, crowning DePaul as the king of Chicago college basketball. And I caught, I caught a lot of much-deserved crap for on Twitter. <laughs> and then DePaul, DePaul ended up finishing 16-16 and 16 on the year after going 12-1. and 1. So a lot of DePaul fans are unhappy with the job that Dave Lato has done over there, because this is his second stint in Lincoln Park, and they – this should have been the year they made a run at the NCAA tournament if they had it, and they finished in the bottom of the Big East again. And I think it could happen again next year. So I wouldn't be too sure about that DePaul job being staying the same. <laughs> I think it's going to be interesting. I think the uh, DePaul-Loyola uh, renewal, the rivalry there, I think that's going to be really good for both programs. Yeah, i got to give Porter a piece of my mind about that. He waits until I graduate to play DePaul again. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? I've been waiting for this for four years. <laughs> yeah. The uh, – you know, with the final four run and, and, and the great success the, the Ramblers have had the last couple of years, obviously Sister Jean became an icon nationally. Uh, tell us something about Sister Jean or about any kind of interaction you've had with her. Oh, you're putting me on the spot here. This is another one I could go on all day. I absolutely love Sister Jean. And, okay, I'll pick this one. So I did a big story on her and how she was doing during COVID-19 shortly after I came back to Dwight and I called her and we were on the phone, I think for 45 minutes. And it, it was just a great conversation. I could talk to her all day. And I think I have sometimes. And I talked to her on the phone and at the end of it, we were just kind of saying goodbye. We we're like, yeah, like stay healthy, keep in touch. And at the end of it, 
So my cousin had a baby in January, baby Oscar. And our families are close enough to where I'm quote unquote, uncle Nick. And of course I told sister Jean about it in January. Cause I was super excited. First baby in the family in a long time. And I told her like, Hey, a couple extra prayers. My cousin's having a baby tomorrow. And she's like, okay, yeah, send me a picture too. So I emailed her. I'm on the phone with her with this interview. This is two months ago now. And I'm, I'm hanging up. She's like, oh, by the way, I hope the baby and your cousin are doing well too. And yeah. she, remember, she remembered it like it was last week. And it was so awesome. And she said to say hi to my mom because I always tell her my mom says hi to Sister Jean. My mom loves her. So she's like, say hi to your mom and say hi to the baby. I'm like, oh, my goodness. It was like one of my favorite moments with Sister Jean. It's awesome. Tell me, uh, what have you heard, if anything, about classes in the fall at Loyola? A lot of schools, obviously, in the left coast are saying we're not even opening. Uh, Chicago has been hit pretty hard by the COVID-19. Uh, what, are, what, if anything, have you heard? I have not heard anything recently. The last I heard was, and this was a few weeks ago, I was still on staff, was that they were, the university president was still looking at stuff and the, everybody was still, it's just very fluid right now. There's really no answer yet because again, Chicago's getting hit hard and it's just, I really don't know what's going to happen yet. And I hope they have classes in the fall, not just for athletics, but for the incoming college freshmen who want to, they get to experience like moving away from home, living in the dorms for the first time. Like I met my current roommate in my orientation group over the summer before freshman year. And we were on the same floor of my dorm. And I just, I made a lot of good friends on campus and I hope they get to experience the full college atmosphere and I hope they have classes, but I'd understand why they would. So I really don't know right now. People don't understand uh, because if they haven't been there and I've only been there once or twice, uh, the charm of the Loyola campus. Talk a little bit about that. Well, it's what sold me on it. Because again, like I said earlier, I visited campus after I was accepted because I figured, well, I should probably visit now that they accepted me. And it's right on Lake Michigan. Can't count how many times I've walked along the lakefront, either going to class or just out for a walk. So that helps. And Madonna del Estrada, the chapel is beautiful. The library's right on the lake. And it's, there is a charm to it that it's the only Chicago school to have like a full-on campus because Northwestern's in Evanston. I want to make that very clear. Evanston is not Chicago. It's a suburb. <laughs> so Loyola is the only, they've got a, it's a full on campus and it's amazing up there. And it, it, I, I'm surprised you've only been there a couple times here because I feel like it's right up your alley. Yeah, no, I've got to get there this year. Uh, but I just haven't been able to sneak my way in there just for whatever reason schedules have not you know allowed but yeah, I mean, it's a cute, cam cute is the wrong word, but it's, it, you feel like you're on a college campus right in the middle of a big city. Yes. And, you know, my wife went to St. Louis U, which is a similar kind of school, you know, they're both Jesuit schools and whatnot. And, and SLU has its own campus, but it's also got a bunch of disjointed parts. And, and so I was super impressed with Loyola the time or two I've been there. And Gentile Arena is, is a uh, small arena and yet it feels big time, but it's small. And I think it provides a great opportunity for a terrific home court advantage for Loyola. Yeah, I would definitely, if you can make it up there this year for one of the bigger games, do it because the atmosphere, it, even my freshman year, my first game, I, so I was actually, it's funny, I was in the pep band freshman year too. So when I was in the pep band, I'd sit press level for the Phoenix. 
First time I sat down there, there were maybe a thousand people in the, at the game. It was Loyola, Missouri State. I don't know why I'll never forget it. And now I covered senior night this year, which was sold out. And it was probably the eighth or ninth sellout in the last three years. So the atmosphere is completely different from even my freshman year. So it's just, it's loud. It's obnoxious, which is the perfect word for it. It is absolutely obnoxious. It's a perfect home court advantage. Uh, so you have told us that uh, graduated now there from Loyola looking for a job. Uh, I assume sports writing job of some sorts or any other kind of writing. I mean, have you, is it that narrow? Me sounds narrow, but I don't mean that narrow. I mean, you're just focused on that. I'd like to do sports reporting of some kind, but I'm also, I do radio too up at Loyola. I obviously haven't been because I'm at home and I don't have the technology to get to the radio station from Dwight, 75 miles away. So I'm looking like radio, print. I've got a little TV background. Really, I'll just take anything at this point. We'll write for food, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I love writing. I love sports. And I feel like if I can put those two things together, it'd be the perfect setup. Okay, we'll, we'll do a little lightning round here. I just want you to just quick, quick response. Uh, oh boy, here we go. Uh, so of those other beat writers, you've gotten to hang out with the other beat writers around the Valley of those other beat writers, just somebody you, I enjoy hanging out with so-and-so and give us like that person's name and why. Oh, I got to go with Jim Benson. He went to my high school. He went, he, <laughs> he so he graduated, I'm, I'm, I'll cut him a break. He graduated Dwight a few years before I did, there, there how we go. usually put it. So oh. we instantly just connect. He, <laughs> I want to say, I can't remember if it's someone related to him lived in the apartment under my grandma for a few years. And it's just so funny, the different connections we have. So he and I kind of hit it off. But also, I give Wyatt Wheeler a hard time on Twitter, though, but he's a lot of fun to be around. Wyatt deserves a lot of trouble on, on, on yes, Twitter. Yes, he does. So that, that's Especially good. for his music taste, which he usually yells at me for, which I think <laughs> I have pretty good music taste. But <laughs> uh, Favorite coach that isn't named Porter Moser in the league? Oh, can I still say Barry Hinson? Is that still no. acceptable? Sorry. Man, uh, I guess I'll go with uh, – I'll say Brian Mullins because I got to know Brian when he was at Loyola. So I'd say Brian now, but I also like Ben Jacobson. He's just super classy. So I, I think it'd be a tie between those two, but I think I'd have to pick Brian just because I know him better. Favorite arena that is not genteel? I've only been to a couple, so I'm going to say Redbird Arena. I mean, I live close to it. Now, again, I grew up in an Illinois State house, so the, the ISU game always had a little more meaning to me personally. So it, it broke my heart. I had to miss Loyola Illinois State at Genteel this year because I had to take a media law test, which was just as exciting as it sounds. I think I, I think I got a decent grade on the test, but I had to miss – I hate missing the Illinois State game. So I think I'd say Redbird Arena. Uh, let me think. What else do I want to ask you? So let's say I asked you, Coach – oh, favorite player in the league that isn't a Rambler? Favorite player in the league that isn't a Rambler? Hmm. We'll say A.J. Green. I like A.J. I mean, not just as a – as a player, like, obviously, he's one of the best players in the league. But also, he seems like a good guy and just, yeah, I think I'd say A.J. Green. That's just off the top of my head, though. I, that answer could change tomorrow. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I've been unabashed. It's just Sean Henry for me. I love watching him play. Okay. And uh, a lot of fun watching him play. Um, so the Valley and leagues like it. Final thoughts are here. Just a couple of final thoughts. Uh, with the – 
name, image, and likeness coming. Free agent transfer on the way. Um, we don't know if they're even going to play this year and all that. Just give me a little, a little sense that you have of health of the Valley. They lose Liam Robbins, Javon Freeman, Liberty, DeAndre Williams, three all-conference guys transfer out of the league all in the same week practically. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me your thoughts about the health and, of, and stability of the league. Rule changes, loss of top-tier talent. Well, I'll start with top-tier talent. I'm going to spin it as it's no secret the Valley hasn't been the same since Wichita State left and Creighton left. But I think Loyola still has some hype from the Final Four because, again, you still got Krotwig and Williamson on the roster. Plus, they're going to be playing at a high level this year. Northern Iowa is going to be playing at a really high level this year. So I think you've got a really, you've got a really strong top two teams this year that made some noise this year nationally because I pay attention to the national stuff to see if there's any Valley, any Valley mentions, and there were a few. So I think having those two at the top is going to make things stronger from a talent standpoint. That said, I hope and pray the NCAA doesn't do the free agent transfer stuff because it's that you'll have high majors poach, poaching from the mid-majors. And that I, again, I'm a traditionalist. I, I like the little guy too. So I want to see the, the guys at the mid-majors stay at the mid-majors. And I'm also, but I'm also very progressive in that I want name, image, and likeness. And I've written about that before. Like, I think the NCAA is taking the right steps toward it right now. I'm not sure if they've entirely got it yet, but there's still time. So I think the Valley's in a good place right now, but I really, really hope the NCAA doesn't do that free agent transfer because then I don't think the, the Cam Crutwigs and the Austin Fifes and even the A.J. Greens, like, I think those guys would be prime targets for high major schools to be like, hey, come play for us on a bigger stage. And that, that doesn't sit well with me. You can play tomorrow and make a lot more money. I mean, I think the sales pitch yeah. is huge, you know. Like, mm -hmm. You can go to, like Robbins did, you can go to Minnesota, make a lot more money, and you don't have to wait a, even a year. It's just tomorrow, start cashing the checks. I, it, it's problematic. I get it from a student standpoint, too. You know, I, I, my youngest son uh, went to one university, then he went to junior college, and then he went to a different university. In three years, he was in three schools. Now, he graduated from the third one and just trying to find the fit and and if he was a basketball player, I'd want him to be able to do that. So I get that. I get the other side of it, too. Yeah, and I completely get that side. And I just I, – I think I've written about it before when they first started talking about it. I think that was the final four year was when I first heard mention of it. And I'm just like, please, God, no, don't do this. Like, I know you want to. I know you're looking out for the Dukes and the North Carolinas. <laughs> don't do this. Just uh... don't do this. I love the, I love looking up for the little guy, and that's why I love mid-major basketball so much. And I, I, I just I hate I, it. I think that's what drives me crazy when I listen to national writers and commentators talk about those things, because really they're talking about seven conferences, and mm -hmm. they they are saying, well, the player needs to be able to do this, and it's all you know, and and the universities has have all this money, and they're talking about seven conferences. They're not talking about the other twenty-four or whatever it is that are that are trying to play against those conferences or, or, you know, fight in their own world. And so I think it's a, it's short-sighted though. It's, that's the big story. I mean, that's what ESPN is going to talk about is those seven conferences. So I realize they're playing to their base, but it, to me, it's, it's problematic for the rest of college basketball. 
Yeah, and I love when when Mark Adams does his do more with less stuff on Twitter. Like that stuff, I'm like, I love like I again, I'll never forget when Loyola beat Florida. Like I know I chalked him off, like, okay, they're not gonna beat Florida, like Florida's number five in the country. And then Loyola goes into Gainesville and beats him by six without Clayton Custer in the second half. Like that kind of stuff, that makes me feel good as a college basketball fan. And I just I don't like looking out for the high majors when you've got mid majors who are struggling, you know? It's just problematic for the guys we're rooting for. Nick Schultz, thanks for your time. Uh, wish you the best. Find a great job. When you're rich and famous, just remember you knew me way back when. And so uh, <laughs> really uh, wish you all the best. You've done great work there at Loyola for the four years, and, and uh, it's been fun getting to know you over these last couple of years. Harry, I appreciate that. And thanks for having me on one last time so I can put my beat writer hat on again. This is fun. Give me something to look forward to today. Like I told you in my text, I have nothing else to do. <laughs> That's Nick Schultz. He's been the four-year writer of the Loyola Ramblers for the Phoenix, the Loyola Phoenix. Is that the official name? Uh, tell us your Twitter handle, by the way, so people can continue to follow you. Yeah, so I'm at Nick Schultz underscore seven on Twitter and still follow the Phoenix too. Like I, my successors are in place now. Abby Schnabel and Kyle Brown are taking over as the co-sports editors now that I'm leaving. And follow the Phoenix at LU Phoenix Sports, and I guarantee you the basketball coverage isn't slowing down. And I'm going to make sure I'm in their ear. They're like, hey, what about, what about the basketball team? How's the basketball team doing? So I promise you the Phoenix is still going to be top-notch college basketball coverage. Appreciate your time, Nick. Folks, you've been listening to and watching the – Valley Hoops Insider Podcast, right here, part of valleyhoopsinsider.com. Remember, since you've been there, make it a better place. We'll talk to you again real soon.